Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hey, I want to begin uh, saying a special prayer for our troops. You know, we have a lot of men and women that aren't with us tonight that are valiantly serving us, but they're on uh, overseas deployment. And uh, we want to just pray for their safety. Heavenly Father, we as a congregation lift up those who are standing for this country in difficult times. We remember them. Some of us remember them by name because they're sons and daughters. Or fathers and mothers, aunts and uncles. Or good friends. We pray you'd protect them and how thankful we are that we have such a wonderful, stellar group of people in the military, serving overseas. And we pray for them and pray that this Christmas would be special to them as we join our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Over in the Indian Ocean is a little tiny island called Christmas Island. It's not far from Australia. In fact, it's considered a territory of Australia. It measures 9 miles by 12 miles. Why is it called Christmas Island? It's filled with palm trees, not pine trees. It's because in 1634, it was discovered on Christmas Day. It's a beautiful spot. Only 1,400 people live on this island. That's because 60% of this island is a national park. Beautiful beaches, lots of palm trees, and I hear excellent surfing. That's Christmas Island. Um, What season of the year do you figure is the most popular time to visit Christmas Island? It's not Christmas. That was sort of a trick question. It's actually the beginning of November when there's this migration of a special red crab found only in that part of the world. Now, Christmas Island, a real place... I figure that if that island, Christmas Island, was anywhere near the United States of America, that by now the name would have been changed from Christmas Island to probably, oh, I don't know, Holiday Island. Because that would be so much more politically correct. I got a Christmas card this year. thought I'd share the front of it with you. Top ten politically correct Christmas carols. Number ten, Oh Holiday Tree. Number nine, have yourself a merry little day of winter. Number eight, Frosty the snow person. Number seven, chestnuts roasting on a safely contained, continuously monitored, eco-friendly, non-toxic outdoor fire for which I do have a permit. Number six, God rest ye merry, oh, excuse me, higher power rest ye merry gentlemen. Number five, Grandma allegedly got run over by an unidentified non-human perpetrator. Number four, deck the halls with boughs of unendangered foliage. Number three, hark, the herald mythical winged creature sings. Number two, I saw Mommy greeting Santa Claus with a purely platonic expression of inoffensive mutual affection. And number one... Of the top ten politically correct Christmas carols, I'll be home for a short period of time in December. (laughs) 
I want you to travel with me tonight to Christmas Island. Not filled with palm trees, not the beautiful view of the ocean, not nice fancy hotels. No, this is an island of paradoxical wonder. This is a smelly place. This is a very poor place. This is a town in the outskirts and the backwash of the Roman Empire that maybe had 300 people when Jesus was born in it, and that's Bethlehem. And I'm convinced nobody in Bethlehem ever thought anyone would ever write a song about Bethlehem. It was just this insignificant place, but that's the place, the island, if you will, that when God entered humanity, that's the place that he came. And why is that? Of all the places for Jesus to be born, why is that? Well, I want to tell you a little bit about that tonight. I want you to come tonight to Christmas Island. This one, the original one. And hopefully, before the night's over, you're going to come to Jesus Christ if you don't know Him already. I'm going to give you an opportunity for you to do exactly that this evening. Now, you know, when um, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, There were kids being born all over the Roman Empire. There were kids being born in Jerusalem. There were kids, no doubt, even being born in Bethlehem. But nobody was being born in a stable, in a cave, in this kind of abject poverty and alienation like Jesus. So why why this place? Why this island? Why a place of barrenness and starkness? Why not an island of opulence? And royalty, like in Rome. Why is that? Well, I think the answer lies in the description of Christmas Island. I'm going to give you three descriptions of it tonight. First of all, Christmas Island was an island of humility in an ocean of pride. An island of humility in an ocean of pride. When Jesus was born... The world was filled with pretty big egos, some in Jerusalem and some in Rome. Swollen heads of um, prideful people who wanted people to notice them. And so we read in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. It came to pass in those days that a decree, this is a mandate, a law, went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, every one to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with his wife, Mary, who was with child." And so it was, while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. There's the mention of Caesar Augustus, which means the revered one, and there's the mention also of Herod in our text. Those were the egos that I was talking about. In contrast to them, what could be more humble than a frail, helpless infant in a cave outside of Bethlehem? This is how Paul explains it in his writings. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. He was an island 
of humility in an ocean of pride. Now, we read here that in verse 7, she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Have you ever asked yourself why that is there in the Bible text? Why the author feels it important to mention that Jesus had cloths around him at birth? Here's the reason why. Because it was normal. It was what every Jewish mother in poverty did for her son or daughter when they were born. They would wrap the arms separately from the legs and then the body together, almost like a cocoon, so that the bones would grow straight and the baby would keep warm. It's just the normal way of giving birth. And the author, Luke, wants us to know that's how Jesus was born, in a very humble manner, far from the way Caesar would have had his son born. His son would have been laid in a bed of gold, would have had the best doctors attending to him, would have had satin robes and blankets for his son. But when God put his son into the world, it was in humility, on this island of humility, in an ocean of pride. Now it's Christmas time, and no doubt you may get a gift or two that is elaborately wrapped, beautifully wrapped. In fact, you might even get a gift that the wrapping's even better than what's inside. There's even stores out there that will wrap presents for you, which if you're a guy, is a great thing. And by the way, ladies, forget wrapping really elaborate presents for your male, your husband or your boyfriend or your son. Uh, men, if you ever watch them open presents... They don't do it with great finesse. It's just like, whatever, boom, what is it? Not very elaborate at all. Well, when Jesus comes into the world, he comes in the way he was predicted that he would come in. In poverty, in humility, as the scripture says, he will be despised and rejected among men. Even when Jesus died, he was placed in a borrowed tomb. And here he is born in a cave. And yet, here's the paradox of this island. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 9 describes this baby this way. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. That's the paradox. Here the originator of human life is confined to a womb. The one who put it all into existence is born this way. God as an embryo and then a fetus and then a baby and then a toddler and then a teenager and then an adult. I think that uh, Philip Yancey helps us here in a great little segment. He writes, imagine for a moment becoming a baby again. Okay, that's hard for us to do. But imagine becoming a baby again. Giving up language giving up muscle coordination, giving up the ability to eat solid food and control your bladder. God as a fetus. Or imagine yourself becoming a sea slug. That analogy is probably closer. On that day in Bethlehem, the maker of all that is took on the form of a helpless, dependent newborn. Let me describe the island further to you, Christmas Island. This is an island of exile in an ocean of unbelief. An island of exile in an ocean of unbelief. The scene of Jesus' birth 
that we are so familiar with and that we read practically every Christmas shows the attitude that the world has had, does have, and will have toward Jesus. It says there was no room in the inn. And you know what? There's simply, in this world, no room for Jesus. The Bible says he came to his own, and his own, what? Received him not. They didn't want anything to do with him. From birth, Jesus was exiled. From birth, Jesus was marginalized. From birth, he couldn't join the mainstream. They had to put him out in a cave. And that would be his life. He would grow up, and he would be scorned and scoffed at and marginalized, and eventually... He would be crucified. Now this spoke of what his life would be. Jesus himself will put it this way. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. The world at its core hates the true Jesus Christ. I read an article. It was in Hong Kong about a group of college, university students getting a petition together to stop Christmas celebrations in China and in Hong Kong. Throughout the country, they wanted to uh, the Chinese to resist, get this, to resist Western religion and Western influence from reaching their country. Well, I had to laugh when I read that. Because they describe Christianity as Western influence and Western religion. Last time I checked, Jesus came from not Nebraska... But the Middle East, the ancients used to call it the Orient. We even sing, we three kings of Orient are, bearing gifts we traverse so far. The true world hates the true Jesus. There's no room. There was no room for Jesus in the politics of his day. Caesar could care less about who was born in Bethlehem. And Herod would see him as somebody who was competing for the throne. And I would say to you that not much has changed. There's really no room these days for Jesus in politics. And politicians know it. And the only time they want to get close to courting the church is right around election time. Then suddenly they become Christian for a while. And that fades off. Also, religion had no room for Jesus. We don't read it here, but we read it in Matthew's account. When those magi came all the way to find Jesus who was born in Bethlehem, the religious leaders who worked for Herod could immediately cite the exact scriptural reference that the Messiah, according to the prophets, was to be born in Bethlehem. They knew the answer. But it was sort of like, Oh, but I'm so busy and I'm not going to go five miles to see if it really happened or not. There was no room in their lives for the possibility of a Messiah who would come like Jesus came. No room for him. And 30 years later, when he presents himself as their king and as their Messiah, it will be these very religious people themselves who will orchestrate his death, his crucifixion. Now, not much has changed. I speak to missionaries all the time. And here's their story. When people leave our country and go to other countries, you know what they find typically that their number one enemy is in other countries? Not so much atheists, not so much agnostics. Organized churches are against the spread of the evangelical gospel. They don't want anybody to rock the 
apple cart. Oh, it's okay if you make Jesus to be a nice person or uh, one among many, or if you make him to be a, a good example or a moral teacher or one of the all roads that lead to God. But when the real baby in the manger grows up and says things like, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, nobody will come to heaven to the Father except by me, that Jesus will be greatly untolerated by most people and even religious people. I've always found it ironic that that great little verse we love to quote, where Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone will open the door, I'll come in and have fellowship with him. I've always thought it ironic that Jesus never said that to unbelievers, but to the church. He was knocking on the door of the church saying, Why won't you let me into your life and make me the center of who you are? No room. Third, I'll describe this island as an island of hope in an ocean of indifference. When Jesus was born in that little manger, that little poverty-stricken cave on the outskirts of Bethlehem, it was an island of hope in an ocean of indifference. You see, there's nothing intimidating about a manger. Um, if you were to go visit the Queen of England, you might get a little bit shaken and get worried about how you look and, and uh, are, are, are you ready? Are you going to say the right thing? Or if you were to visit the White House, you'd have to have certain credentials and proof of who you are and they would um, do a background check and then you could get in. You don't have to do that when you go visit a barn. You don't get a special appointment to go out to see where the animals hang out. It's very unassuming and very non-intimidating to go to a manger. And so would it be the entire span of Jesus' ministry on the earth. He would be that island of hope in a world of indifference. Example. There was a day when parents wanted to bring their children to Jesus. And the disciples were so indifferent about it, they tried to scoot the kids away. And Jesus offered hope. Bring them to me. Let them come to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Or what about the time when there was a woman who had a disease for 12 years and every doctor she ever went to didn't help her and she felt so put off and she felt so marginalized and everyone was indifferent toward her until she met Jesus and he offered hope to her. He recognized that little touch when she touched the hem of his robe that it was a touch of faith and it brought hope into her life. And so the manger was a preview of what the cross would be like, accessible to anyone who would come. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. We can boldly enter into heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Let us go right into the presence of God with true hearts, fully trusting him, for our evil consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood and made clean. So just like you could come into the manger, even the shepherds were allowed in, you can come into the throne room because of God's grace and what Jesus did on the cross. And that's Christmas Island. It's an island of humility and an ocean of pride. It's an island of exile and an ocean of unbelief, but it's an island of hope and an ocean of indifference. And Jesus allowed them to come. There was a husband and a wife who um, had two children. They had grown up and moved on, moved away. On December 23rd, 
the father calls his son in another city and says, son, I hate to spoil your Christmas, but I want you to know and I want you to be the first to know that your mother and I are getting a divorce. What? The boy said, what? You can't do that. I don't want to talk about it. I've spent enough years trying to talk this through and I'm done. So I just want you to know your mother and I are getting a divorce. I don't want to talk about it, but I do want you to call your sister. You can tell her. So he called his sister, told her she was up in arms. She calls her father and she goes, now just wait a minute, dad. You can't divorce mom. Don't do anything. Stop right there. I'm going to fly in tomorrow and I'm going to call my brother, your son. We're both going to be there tomorrow. Don't do anything till we get there. So the father hung up the phone, looked at his wife and said, it worked. The kids are coming home for Christmas (laughs) and, and they're paying their own way. (laughs) Well, you know, I suppose they had a Merry Christmas eventually once they explained it all and all, all that emotion passed away. But there's a much better way for you to have a Merry Christmas and it's to have the best gift ever given. It's, it's, it's this, it's not visiting Christmas Island once a year. It's living there. It's living there. It's receiving God's solution for our transgression, our sin. He paid for us. He made a way by sending his son. And it's by us receiving that gift. And us, as Hot Rod Roddy Rodriguez said a minute ago, giving him, giving him us. What do you give the God who has everything on his birthday? You give him you. If he doesn't have you, that's what he wants for Christmas. That's what he wants for his birthday. He wants your life. He wants you to surrender your life to an alien will, his will. It's called repentance. It's I'm going to turn from the old and I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ and receive everlasting life. And we're going to bow for just a prayer. And then I'm going to give you an invitation for you to come forward and make Jesus your Lord and Savior. Would you stand as we pray? Heavenly Father, we're bringing this service to a close. This is a great celebration. Our kids have looked forward to this. We've looked forward to this. We love Christmas. But we love the Christ of Christmas. And that's why we love Christmas. Because it's a day where we get to mark and celebrate as the time, the change time. The time by which we set our our own birthdays by. The months of the year, the years of the calendar, all stem from marking time after Jesus showed up on earth. Lord, I pray that more than a celebration, tonight would be the night of invitation where we would invite you to come into our lives because you will not be one who comes in unless we invite you. You won't force yourself. But we pray, Father, for those relatives who have joined us tonight or friends in the community or people who have traveled from afar. I thank you for everyone who has come. I thank you that so far we've had two jam-packed, overflowing services. But Lord, more than just coming to church or coming to a service or visiting this place we call Christmas Island in the midst of all the madness, a place where we celebrate the birth of Jesus, 
I pray that people would live there. I pray that tonight, this night, would be the night of change. I pray, Lord, that many would come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and make that decision even right now at this service before we close. That's what we pray for. And only you can do it, Lord. So would you move in hearts around this auditorium in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.